All right, we are in John 6, obviously. Got a little surprise for you. John, in this chapter, is doing something a little, a little different. Okay, maybe it's not different. Maybe it's exactly the same. He's working really hard to identify Jesus for us. Okay, This is what he does, what the book's about. He is trying to say, this is the Son of God, this is the Messiah. Here's more evidence. So, with that being known, we have to understand why this is a concept is here. It's not a cool story. It's not a fictional book. It's not the Canterbury Tales. It's not um, some Dickinson novel. It's not any of these things. This is the Word of God, and it's John giving us Jesus. And so, today as we look at that, um, I hope that we see Jesus um, in a different way than the, the Jews were seeing him. Still, he is a man who is rejected and there's hostility toward him yeah we're going to talk about people that are following him but we know from chapter two what jesus with his own words said that he doesn't trust himself to people and we're going to see that yet again very quickly about this group of people and in two different ways but we know that he at least he has a following but at the same time there is hostility and rejection of him in the hearts of people and so we need to we need to focus on that and see what it is and i, and I titled today jesus's love revealed because what he does is amazing for, to do. Uh, I could have said a compassion. I could have said his glory. I could have said his power. I could have said a lot of things. But for me, this is grace once again. This is love once again pouring out of Jesus. And so he is not being worshipped here. He is being followed here. So let's read this passage of Scripture and just see exactly what it is that happens here. One of the cool stories. One of the stories that we go, wow, it's hard to believe. Is it really true? Is he this awesome? And we have to say yes. And so, let's read the passage. We'll break it down. Starting in verse 1. After after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on, on, on the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the, of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing the large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what, <clears throat> what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them just to get a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in this place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is coming into the world. Jesus, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. May God add his blessing to his word today, and may we see Jesus stand forth in this passage more than anything else, more than just a miracle, but we see Jesus for who he is. I'm going to jump ahead to verse 4 real quick, just because this is the only dating that we have here, time of the Passover, so we're looking at about... Um, six six months um, that we have the Galilean ministry. And uh, this is about six months after that. 
based on time frames because once again we had the concepts of when and we, 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 we're timing this based not out of John but out of Matthew chapter 4 through 15 it's given us the Galilean ministry and so we know when Passover happened there so we're looking at about six months later here he is Jesus jumps in a boat and he hustles himself up north to the other side of Tiberias because it's not hateful toward him up there just yet just wait on it <laughs> they're going to come too but wait on it so we, we get into this passage and we see what's going on. We're, we're watching Jesus ministering. I don't know what it looked like at this time. All I know is, is what, what has happened and what he's been doing. So I don't, we know some of the stories of Jesus has been walking around healing. We know that he's been touching the sick and making them well. We know that he has, he, he has made blind eyes see. We know that some of the signs that John has already given us of the water to wine and the healing of the, of the man on the Sabbath. So Jesus is doing these amazing things. And it says, after this. So after he's been doing these things, he went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is Sea of Tiberias. So he jumped in a boat and went away secretly. Here's what. A large crowd was following him. <laughs> he didn't get away though, did he? <laughs> Whoever wants to run from a large crowd. Sometimes, right? Um, but a large crowd was following because, here, here's our issue, guys. I said, I said that they're not following him to worship him. They're not following him. I told you, verse 2 says very clear, or chapter 2 says very clearly, he knew their hearts, so he wasn't going to attach himself to them. Same thing. Because they saw the signs he was doing. This is superficial. This is insincere. They loved the miracles. They didn't love him. They loved the things he did. They didn't like the words he spoke yet. Sadly, we never do. This is called depravity, total depravity. Men, we, and women, humans, we are depraved. We are not seeking God. We are not seeking the things that are truth. We are not seeking true justice. We are not seeking true righteousness. We never do until the Holy Spirit pulls us to do those things, okay? So we are totally depraved. We, we are like these people, but for the grace that God has already shown upon us to call us unto himself and to come and get us and bring us to himself. So these people are no different than you and I. They loved the ideas of what he did. They were really excited about Jesus, but they weren't obedient in following anything he was teaching. And Jesus knew this. He attempted to go with his disciples and be alone. He went up, this, is what, this is what verse 3 tells us. He went up to the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples, just them, trying to get some peace, trying to get some quiet. Maybe he was taking a moment. Maybe this is where Jesus said, you know what? Later on, he tells Paul, he has Paul teach us as pastors to disciple, to teach people in the Word, the depths of Jesus, to help them grow in their faith, to help them understand what, what life is about, to, to work toward being closer to Christ. And so maybe this was his moment where he was going to sit down with them and just... Just feed them a little on their own. Because what you guys don't, what we have to understand, what we, we sometimes forget, is the disciples weren't just followers that sat by Jesus and listened all the time. They were workers. They were serving Jesus. They were worshiping him through their service to him. So maybe this is one of those moments. It obviously says, I mean, John said very clearly, he sat down with us. Maybe he just needed to love on them a little bit. Maybe he wanted to encourage them in their faith. Maybe he knew that it was the Passover time and he wanted to remind them of their history. I don't know. But we know that he did this. So he had went away to be with them. 
And we know that the also there's a little more significance to chapter 4 than just a date or verse 4. I'm sorry, it says, Now the Passover, the Feast of the Jews was at hand. This is another reason there would be so many Jews in one concentrated area. It wasn't just about following Jesus. There was a lot of them that showed up and they, somebody said, Hey, hey, come here. Watch this guy. And the, the crowd grew and grew like this. So we know that this is part of it. We know that here he is. The Passover is here. Jesus is, is right now starting to do amazing things in front of big crowds of people because right now he is setting himself up for, this, for the crucifixion. And Jesus says, the Passover, the feast of the Jews is at hand. He knew what that meant to them. Matthew said that they, they were all lost without a shepherd and Jesus showed compassion on this crowd. In Mark's gospel, it says that he revealed that he had been, spent the entire day with these people. Luke says that he was caring for the sick and healing as many as he could and trying to do his best to teach everyone. Hey, we've got to remember, Jesus was human form. Who gets tired after a long day of doing something? Jesus, this is not just, okay, I've got to get away from these people, they're bothering me. Jesus had to rest too. Jesus served, and Luke made it very clear. Even though Jesus, much like us, knew their hearts... He understood who they were on the inside, like he does us. He still spent time with them. He still was willing to heal them. He still was willing to teach them. He was still patient and gracious and compassionate. And I got to say, what a Savior he is. Because you and I can't live up to that. We only have so much we're willing to give. So Jesus goes to the mountain and the, the crowd follows. Once again, there's a crowd. So let's get in verse 5 and 6 here. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so these people can eat? He said this to test him because he knew what he would do. Philip, we know, lived near Bethsaida. 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 There we go. I said it correctly that time. And this is where the area they're in, it's at the north side of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. So Philip was from there, and so he turns to Philip, also knowing that Philip's mindset of being a very logical guy, being very um, um, formatted, a, a, a man who needed structure in the way he thought and did things and the way he worked from other passages. And he says, all right, I'm going to put Philip on the, on the spot here. <laughs> he says, hey, Philip, where can we buy something? Jesus didn't ask Philip there because he thought Philip was really going to be able to do it. Verse 6 says, he did it to test him. Aren't you glad? <laughs> Aren't you glad we're not the only ones that get tested by Jesus? <laughs> Aren't you glad he tests us? Not sometimes. Right? He asked Philip so he could prove something to Philip. He tested him for one reason. He wanted to see where Philip's belief was. He wanted to see that Philip needed to know that Jesus could do anything. He wanted to test him because he wanted to build Philip's trust. You see, guys, God's going to test us to build, base our trust on that new testing. We will only test, or tr- we will only trust anything. Let's be honest. We only trust anything as far as we can prove it. If I put you in one of these chairs and it collapsed, and the next day I say, sit in this chair, you're not going to sit in the chair. Ha <laughs> you got me last time, I'm not doing it again. Which would be funny to watch. He's pushing him. He's saying, watch this, Philip. Trust me, Philip. 
Let me build you. He is trying to mold Philip in this way. Guys, when we are in the midst of facing something, often, usually, I probably say 100% of the time, it is a test. Let me be, be careful here. You overwithdraw your bank account, Jesus ain't testing you. That's your fault. Jesus allows you to fall ill for his glory for whatever reason. He wants to see where your faith and your trust is. You go out and break a law and act like a fool, Jesus isn't testing you. You go out and, 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 and sin however you want. It's not testing, that's consequences. He's allowing them. Testing is when he pushes us and he molds us and he presses us. And that's what he's doing to Philip here. And, he, and, and it reminds me of, of James chapter 1. Guys, I love the study of James. But chapter 1, verse 2 through 5 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. See, Christ went to Philip and presented an obstacle. It's like if, if, if these marathon runners that were running two weeks ago, and I were to go in and, and slide a spike strip out in front of them, and they had to jump it. That would be terrible, wouldn't it? Um, or, or I decided to, um, when you were bike riding, to lay a log out to see if you could get around it. That Jesus did this intentionally to Philip. He said, watch this. Philip, I'm going to put this insurmountable odds in front of you. I'm going to put an obstacle, and I'm going to see if you fall on your face, or you fall on your faith. I just made that up. That's not in my notes. I like it. Do you fall on your face or on your faith? That's pretty good, right? Um, <laughs> he wanted to see if he could do the impossible. He knew. Jesus knows. Okay, We forget. Jesus knows the mathematical situation. He knows the money situation. He just wants to see what Philip would do. And he knows what Philip's going to do. And Philip acts just like us, doesn't he? Philip goes, well, wait a minute. We only have 200 denarii worth of bread. That's not enough for all these people to get just a little bit. By the way, 200 denarii is about eight months worth of wages for people in this time. So it's, it sounds like a substantial amount of money. But not to feed these people. Not to feed this many people. He says, God, you, you know, Jesus, um, I know your idea and I love your heart. But at this time, our funds are inadequate. We're not going to be able to do it. <laughs> sounds like the modern day church in America to me. I had a great opportunity to meet with some missionaries from Kazakhstan the other night, or the other day, um, and I sat with him on a, actually was on a field trip with Jalea at the Mays Farm over off St. Joe's in Evansville. And um, one of the kids in her class, parents, um, were missionaries in Kazakhstan for a long time and actually had to leave because of the Muslim forces um, basically took over there too. And so they were forced to leave. And... But we were talking about church and, and she said, the hardest thing for me is not, I don't understand this sense of going and going home. Like we, there's no community within churches. And there's no faith in churches. It's all about materialism. It's all about these, these outside ideas. And she goes, I'm so confused inside the American church after spending so long in Kazakhstan. And my faith being pushed in ways I couldn't explain. It's because we're Philip. It's because we're Philip. We worry and we say, well, we're just not quite there, God. If you give us a little more, we'll do more. Well, God, if you lead a few more people with a few more dollars our way, then we'll start reaching out to our community. Then we'll start telling people about Jesus. Then we'll start believing that you have a plan. See, we are Philip. Because we forget what Paul wrote in Philippians 4. My God will supply every need according to the money in your bank account. 
according to whatever the government loans you. No, according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we're to be irresponsible. But I'm saying when we know God's moving, he's going to supply what has to happen. I tried to explain to him I needed a motorcycle. He told me no. Because not a need. Matter of fact, there's a whole lot of things that we call needs that sure aren't needs. And FYI, this has nothing to do with somebody's faith because I, I know some folks who are good, godly people who are homeless. This is not about supplying a perfect home or a home at all. Let's, let's not misconstrue this passage of Scripture. God is here saying, I have the power to supply all the needs that I need to be to glorify the Father. This doesn't mean he's going to put food on our plates. There are people dying around this world who know Christ, but they're starving. I can't explain that. I'm not God. He didn't give me the ability to understand how exactly that works. But let's not go, well, I'm a fool with my money, and I act like an idiot out on the street and people see me, but when I go home, I say, God, you're going to supply everything I need. Because your Bible says, no, no, read it all, understand what he's saying. He's supplying the needs for the all of people according to his riches and for the, Christ, for the glory of Christ and for the glory of the Father. And here, that's what he tells Philip. That's what he's testing Philip with. Listen to this, but here's Philip's problem. It's, we see it in 2 Corinthians 12. But he said to me, my, my grace is sufficient for you. Here's what he supplies. Grace. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. Is Paul writing here so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, and calamities. Wait a minute. Paul is the same person who wrote, My God shall supply my needs. But he just now said, I'm okay with insults, calamities, and having nothing. Because my, your grace is sufficient. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Philip is just like us, limited. Amazingly limited. And anything he could do. But Jesus has unlimited flexing, power, flexing ability. He's testing. That's disciple one today. Disciple two. Disciple one, Philip. Hannah's not going to know. Disciple two, verse eight. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a little boy here. There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Hey, you know what? Andrew's not like Philip. He didn't say, we don't have it. Andrew said, there's a boy here with something. And I, want to, and I clarified this when we studied this on Wednesday night. I want to clarify it now. But what are they for so many? This is not saying, well, he's here, but it's too bad. This is Andrew saying, look, Jesus, there's a boy here with five loaves and two fish. What can you do with it? What can you do with it? He's saying, well, lay it at your feet. What, what, what are you able to do with it? Andrew may not have had a solution. He may, his faith might not have been real strong here, but he put on a good face and, and tried to be. He said, I'm at least going to believe that Jesus is Jesus and I'm not. And he asked us to feed these people. What can you do with it? 200 denarii is all we have. Hey, we got these five loaves and two fish. What can you do with it? Do you hear the difference in the two people? Do you hear the difference? Now, their heart might not have been completely different. Philip's heart, 
right place, probably in the right place. Andrew's heart, in the right place. Hoping to do something. Philip wanted to do something. Philip said, I can't. Andrew said, maybe you can. Do you hear the difference? Do you hear the difference in our thoughts, what we need to have? I can't. Maybe you can. I believe you can. Five barley loaves. These would have been small cakes. They could have been round, like flat, like pitas. Like we see a pita kind of. Could have been like that. Or it could have been actually like a small loaf, either way. Or like a dinner roll. More than likely, it's probably about the size of a dinner roll. And two fish. Sardines. That's what's right there off the coast. Tons of them in the, in the lakes. Sardines, the most commonly eaten fish in Israel. More than likely, it's sardines. And more than likely, they're pickled and smearable. Doesn't this sound delicious? Pickled sardine spread for your bread. Mm, I love sardines, so it's good to me. And put them mm, right on some... Mm, my mouth's water. That sounds good. Um, but that's, that's it. That's it. Five dinner rolls. Who could eat five dinner rolls right now, right? It's not a big deal. Okay, say maybe you don't like sardines, but maybe two, I don't know, for Debbie's sake, pieces of beef jerky. <laughs> I don't know, something along those lines. We could eat that. No problem. This little boy was poor. Barley was the poorest type of bread they made. So this little boy is all he had. Verse 10 said, Jesus, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Uh, guys, I just want you to see this. I want you to see this because I, I, I should have written this down. I'm seeing something different right now that I haven't seen. Jesus told him to sit down. And then it says, for there was much grass in the place. Who sat on a rock? <laughs> wow. I don't know. Jesus is so compassionate and loving. He made sure they were in a place to sit comfortably. That's pretty amazing. These people hated him. They just wanted to see him work another magic trick. I gotta get to my notes. Hold on. So how did the people sit down? There was much grass in the place, so the men sat down about five thousand in number. Let's be careful here. It said the men sat down about five thousand in number. That does not count women and children. Who we know Jesus was followed by more women than men. Based on historical writings. So the new Ford Center downtown sits around just over 10,000 people. It's a big building. Go inside, it seems big. Now, for stadiums, it's not very big. But if you've been in there, you can visualize 10,000 people in there. And if we're to guesstimate that 5,000 men were counted, then we could easily say fifteen to 20,000 people are following Jesus here. That's an amazing amount of people. He said, he looked upon them, and here's where I see the love. It starts here in 10 and goes on to what he did for them. He looked upon them. Well, it actually starts when he first says, what do we do to feed them? But he puts them in this nice place. People who had never had faith in him, he would, heal, he would, he would feed them. Even if they didn't have the faith that he could feed them, he still was going to. Disciples obeyed Jesus here, doing exactly what he told them to do from here on out with, this, with these five loaves and two fish. And their faith would have been grown. Their faith would have grown. How many times have we ever stepped out on what we believe Christ is leading us to do in faith? We obediently moved. We saw God work. And then what happened when you look back on it? 
Your aftermind worked, didn't it? You had the aftercall of this is a growing of my faith because of my obedient action. Let's watch what the disciples did. I guarantee their faith grew from this. Verse 11, so Jesus took the loaves. We had given thanks. <laughs> By the way, this is one of the passages that we get the concept of praying over our food from. It wasn't a traditional idea. This was one of the concepts. He gave thanks. He prayed blessing down upon it. I don't know what he said. I'm sure it wasn't, God bless this food to our body. Our body is your service. Like I was heard my whole life, right? Nothing wrong with that, by the way. Just saying, it's probably not what he said. He said, Father, my guess is, he said, Father, through me, do your magic. Do your awesomeness. Show your glory. Make it happen. And he just started doing what he did. He's distributed them to those who were seated. Also the fish, as much as they wanted. 15, 20, 25,000 people. Forget about it. Let's say it was only 5,000 people. He fed them. He fed them with fish that had never swum in the sea. Fish had never been in the sea, and he, he made them happen. Barley that had never grown, and it was never harvested, and was never milled, was never mixed with water and oil, was never baked. He fed them with it. He created, and 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 he created. He probably said, speak light, and there was light. Oh, you remember that passage out of Genesis? Speak bread. Show up bread. He spoke fish, and there was fish. He created, and he created till everyone was full. I don't know who brought the best super sandwich today. But I bet when it's gone, we're not going to be able to get more. Soup. <laughs> right. He created and he created until they were fed. What I love about this passage is Jesus not only did this miracle, he used his disciples to do it. Hello? What's that tell you? What are we called? What does Jesus call those who follow him at the end of his life? He sends out his apostles. He says, make Christians. No, make people come to church. No, he said, make disciples. We are disciples. We are not only disciples. We are apostles to tell people about Jesus and his glory. But we are disciples and he's got to, he uses us to work his miracles. This entire episode was about glory. Three things. Showing who he was. Glorifying the Father, growing the disciples in faith. Because he knew he was leaving them. Verse 12. When they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up. And they filled the baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Verse 14. When, they, when the people saw the sign they had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. Sounds good, Right? Jesus did amazing thing. He even sent his disciples up to collect the scraps. There shouldn't have been scraps. There shouldn't have been more bread and fish. He sent them out to get their own fill. They were able to, to eat then and, and enjoy tasting the miracle, not just seeing it, not just distributing it, putting it in themselves. But we have a problem here. Verse 14 is a problem. I don't ever want to be a church. I don't ever want to be a pastor that says, people 
see what Jesus did and follow him. I want to be a pastor that says, know who Jesus is and follow him. It says that they, they then said, indeed, this is the prophet who has come to the world. It sounds beautiful. It sounds amazing. But it's the same thing as we see in chapter 2. It's the same thing as we saw a little bit earlier in this chapter. In, in verse 2. So, well, there he is. He did cool things. Let's go after him. Not because of anything he was going to teach. Because he flows with amazing teaching. The next two passages that we're going to go into, cool stuff. Especially when we get to verses 22 through 66. It's going to be like a year and a half on that passage alone. Because Jesus did this miracle here, and in a few minutes we're going to see where he calls, or a few weeks we're going to see where he calls himself the bread. These people didn't want the bread. They wanted the magician. How can I prove that to you? Verse 15 perceiving sovereignty of who jesus is sovereignty means all knowing all powerful uh, 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 all places having all ability being able to see and know before now and later this is what sovereign means it means in control able to mold and make perceiving jesus within himself perceived you ever meet somebody and you go whoo just not sure about that guy. Just not sure about that girl. My dad's one of the most discerning people I know, and he, he's instantaneously discerning. I don't know where it comes from. One of my very good friends growing up, I love this person. My dad said, first time I brought him to the house, I don't trust him. I argued my dad, oh, you're, you're just being this way, you're just acting like this because of whatever, blah, 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 blah. Well, who knows why I argued. He said, I don't trust him. I said, well, he's staying here tonight. And Dad said, that's fine. I don't trust him. That third time he stayed with us, he left and tried to take my dad's truck and a bunch of stuff. I'd never seen this side of him. I had no idea. And that's not an isolated incident. I saw my dad do it. <laughs> it's ridiculous. You should hear what he says about y'all. Um, <laughs> ah, it's funny. Um, Jesus perceiving. You guys know what perception is. But Jesus' perception is not a feeling. It's his knowledge. He knows. Perceiving that we're about to take, come and take him by force. Kidnap him to make him king. Jesus withdrew to the mountain by himself. See, what we need to see about this story is they wanted a Messiah that was a genie in a bottle. I thought about showing the clip from Aladdin. And I realized how long that clip is when he first comes out of the bottle. Like, Never mind. They wanted this... A genie to pop out and fulfill their wishes and their dreams and their, grant, their, grant their ever-dying demands. And Jesus knew this. They wanted him to change their surroundings, but they didn't want him to change their insides. They didn't, wanna, they didn't want to be consumed with who he was and let him change them from the inside out. No, no, no. They wanted everything around them to change that they controlled. The problem is, guys, Jesus depends, depends Jesus demands repentance from us remember the word that led to john the baptist back uh, uh, um, john the baptist's own death repentance told the people to turn and follow and they didn't want to do that it's the same word that caused jesus to hate him and you're gonna to have to f- turn and follow me and because i'm one with the father led to his crucifixion these people didn't want that 
They wanted a military captain. They wanted somebody to be tough and strong on the government, to come and, and, and use these powers, use this stuff to make what they wanted out of this earth. They followed Jesus because he was helpful, not because he was useful. I mean, because he was helpful, not because he was their Messiah. They wanted him to be useful, but he's way more than useful. He's compassionate, loving, and gracious. He is Lord. He is all things that we need. They wanted to follow him because he made bread for them. Hello, folks. The biggest churches in our country, in our world, are these folks. What's, if you don't know the, the lingo, you should, because it's been around for the longest time. Bread means what a lot of times? Money. People use the word bread for money. Been using it forever. The book The Great Gatsby uses that word. For he had a lot of bread in his house, it says in one line. Jesus created bread, and he created bread, and he created bread. The problem is, people want him to create their own bread, what they want and what they desire. And so we've got pastors and churches going, you give me all your things. I'm buying private jets and Bentleys, and God's going to give you what you need, if you're faithful enough. And when God doesn't, they fall away from knowing God. They fall away from Jesus because they're looking for their own bread. They're not looking for him to be the bread. Does that make sense? What are we doing with this idea of what Jesus can do as the bread and not giving us bread? These people who follow this idea of what's called prosperity gospel, they're impressed with Jesus' usefulness, not with his lordship. People who follow this idea and that we all do at some points in our lives, if we're not careful, we always want things and bigger and better. We've got to buy our kids and our own selves brand names and they've got to have the best of this and the best of that. And even if we can't afford it, we find a way to do it. I'm, oh my gosh, I'm tired of this idea, folks. Jesus is not here to give us things. He did not come so we could give things and have things and stuff and the best of this and the best of that. He came to be the satisfaction. You know what happens when we don't see him as that? We are never satiated. We are never satisfied. Our kids are never satisfied because we give them too much stuff. Or we are never satisfied because we're seeking out the next best thing in life. Guys, this is the best thing we got. It doesn't get better. We better figure that out. I want another Harley. It ain't better than this. That's not in my notes either. If we know Jesus, we have his gospel, it should alter the way we see this stuff. It should alter our appetites toward this. It should change us to being perfectly satisfied in Him and nothing else. And when we're looking anywhere else, we are in sin. Period. There is no other question about that. In verse 10, chapter 10 and verse 27 of this same book, John says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus said this, You were seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Why are we seeking Him? Why are we seeking him? Because he gave us a, a temporary satisfaction? Or because we're satisfied in who he is? Why are we seeking him? Because at this moment in life, we might be blessed beyond what we've ever known. Or maybe we're doing a little better. Maybe we can have a little better things. Or maybe even we're not, and we need to recognize we are super blessed even when we don't feel like we are. Is that why we're following him? Or are we following him because he is the Lord?
If it's not because he's the Lord, it's time to repent. Learn and hear his voice. Follow him and receive a new appetite. Jesus is here to be our bread, not give us bread. He's here to be our desires, not give us our desires. He's here to change our appetites, not, satisfy, not, not, not to satisfy our unregenerated cravings that continue. Just with Philip, just as with Philip, Jesus is testing us right now in this moment. He's saying, do we have spiritual eyes? Do we have spiritual ears to hear? Or are we just stopping at the benefits of having a church and a community, Christian moments around us and Christian around us to, to, to satisfy the idea that we're supposed to be here and now we're not alone? Or are we doing it because we love him, we delight in him, and we are pursuing him? Not for anything he can do for us. Because marriages will never work if one or both partners are simply loving the other for what they can get from the other. If we believe that, then how much more should we believe that about our relationship with Jesus? We're pursuing him. We're claiming to live for him. We're claiming to do for him. Because we want from him, we don't have a relationship with him. He's just a genie in a bottle.